Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Lent can feel like an awfully long time. Ash Wednesday was quite a while ago, and it started our Lenten season back on February 25th. We were full of Fosnox and disappointment in the groundhog's prediction of another six weeks of winter. And yet we as Christians gathered together. We gathered together on Ash Wednesday to place ashes on our forehead, ashes that remind us as we enter this Lenten season of our own mortality. Lent can feel like an awfully long time. I think part of this is because it's winter. Some of the darkest months, some of the coldest months. But Lent can also feel long because in it we focus on confession, reflection, perhaps fasting, sacrifice. It's a chance for us to examine the deepest parts of our soul as we prepare for the greatest sacrifice of all. And so here we find ourselves in Palm Sunday, a kind of anomaly in the middle of this somewhat somber, darkened season. We have been focusing on sobriety and times of confession and and the darkness of the season, and the depths of our soul. And here we are waving branches, shouting Hosanna, and jumping up and down in a way that only Kevin Stewart could do. (laughs) I love it. Thank you, Kevin. The fanfare is here. The crowds are cheering. The palm branches are waving. And we are suddenly transported into party time in the midst of everything going on in our solemn understanding of this holy time of preparation. Fred Craddock wrote in regards to Palm Sunday, he said, even if we've sent, set out on our Lenten pilgrimage on Ash Wednesday and taken every step along the way in penitence and prayer, we are still not prepared for the arrival of Palm Sunday and neither, those, neither were those who joined Jesus in Galilee and made their way up to Jerusalem. For many, it was an annual pilgrimage, this Passover. But in one particular year, the pilgrimage was a once-in-a-lifetime experience because it was made in the company of Jesus of Nazareth. For him, too, Jerusalem was the end of a pilgrimage. The time that Palm Sunday first, occur, first occurred in Jerusalem was during the season or the celebration of Passover. Jews often traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate together in the holy city. I have read statistics that there were perhaps 10 times as many people that normal, normally populate Jerusalem during Passover time. So this place was buzzing with excitement Hotels were crowded, restaurants were overflowing, the place was packed. And Jesus, too, was on his way, being the faithful Jewish man that he was, to the holy city for the Passover event. 
But for Jesus, it wasn't the same festival that the others were anticipating. Psalm 118, that was read to us earlier by Rose, was actually a phrase that, we, that would have been heard on the streets of Jerusalem during Passover, during that Holy Week, that time of celebration of the, of the Israelites being released from bondage and slavery. It was a common text, these words, Hosanna. But these words were typified by, by exclaiming them towards God. For God's release from the bondage of, of the Egyptian pharaoh. And so blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, this release from Egypt. Lord, we beseech you, take care of us. So they wouldn't have been foreign words. These were not new words to the Jews on the streets. They perhaps were saying them, perhaps regardless of Jesus's presence. It was a Passover celebration. And in fact, Psalm 118 is part of the concluding psalm sung in the Passover celebration. God had brought the Hebrews out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and toward freedom in the promised land. This was the celebration of Passover, that they were saved from the, from the death that had hit all the other homes. So the words being said to Jesus were very typical sounding to the Jews during this Passover time. And perhaps they were directed towards Jesus for those who began to understand his messianic identity. But perhaps they were words of the Passover celebration towards God's freedom granted to them from the past. So we can take these words this morning at face value, as the Jews probably did on Passover, or we can look at them in hindsight we can see and understand the word Hosanna and the passion and the excitement that was building in Jerusalem for those who had a better insight into who Jesus was. Frankly, I welcome Palm Sunday. I think it's a chance, finally, for us Christians to celebrate who Jesus is as an adult. It's a great Sunday to think about all that Jesus has done. At Christmas time, we focus so much on the birth of the Virgin Mary and all of those things which are great and very much to be honored and celebrated. But Palm Sunday gives us a chance to honor the man that Jesus has become, the man who was not afraid to stand up to authorities, who was not afraid to invite the unlovable to his side and befriend him. He was not afraid to teach freely, even if it was perhaps against the laws being taught by others, a radically different approach to understanding God's world. And he was a man who, despite knowing what was ahead of him on the parade path, entered into Jerusalem. I find this worthy of celebration. And then he entered on that donkey. No Palm Sunday can go by without the mention of the donkey. The donkey gets a lot of attention in the Palm Sunday story. You may remember when I was preaching a few weeks ago, again in the Gospel of Mark as we have been reading most of Lent, that Mark is a bit unique compared to the other Gospels because of his lack of details. Mark is the quick one. He's really getting there as quickly as he can. He doesn't care about all the details. 
just 16 chapters to his book. He wants to just get the facts out, and you can maybe fill in the details. But even Mark talks about the details of the donkey. It's interesting that Mark would explain by giving specific directions of how Jesus explained to his disciples where they are to get this cult and how they are to do it and what they are to say. It's out of character for Mark's gospel, and it's out of character for Jesus in Mark's gospel. It is, in fact, the first time that we begin to see explicitly that Jesus knows in advance what is happening to him. Up until this point, he has told the disciples three different times, three different occasions in the Gospel of Mark, he has hinted at and alluded to his death and his impending passion on the cross. But for this time, he has been able to predict the immediate future. And I had to think that it got the disciples thinking. There are lots of Old Testament references in these Palm Sunday stories. In each of the Gospels, you can read about them, Matthew and Luke, and they have different references to different Old Testament stories. But one story that is seldom referenced is a new story that I came across in preparation for the sermon, and that is from 1 Kings chapter 1. It's the succession of King David's throne. When David is dying, they know a new king needs to be named. And he says God has revealed to him that Solomon will be that successor. And that Solomon, David said, was to ride to the coronation on a mule, or some people would say a donkey. And when you read in Kings about Solomon's coronation, you see how people cheered and shouted, rejoicing with great joy. And Solomon's coronation was, in fact, almost exactly replicated by Jesus many, many, many years later. And for those who knew their Jewish law, their Jewish stories, their Jewish heritage, those Jews who were in Jerusalem practicing Passover in this holy city probably knew this story well. And so the idea was in the back of their head, King Solomon from the line of King David, who rode in on a donkey for his coronation. A king was ascending the throne. A coronation was, in fact, in progress. The many Old Testament references to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem appear throughout the different Gospels. Perhaps the donkey was indeed a reference to Solomon's coronation. Or perhaps it was a reminder that Jesus knew the details of the events that were to happen in the days ahead, all the way down to that tiny donkey that was to be obtained for him in order to enter in. Sometimes in the midst of our celebrations or the big pictures that we're so busy planning for our future, we forget to notice the little things, the smaller things that could point the way to a clearer sense of things. If only we stop and notice. But the disciples and the people receiving Jesus into Jerusalem were way too excited to stop and worry about the details of a donkey. Imagine how excited these people must have been 
For years and generations and generations, they had constantly been asking the question, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Are you the one who is to come, they asked John the Baptist, or do we wait for another? They always had that suspicion, that hopeful suspicion of perhaps this is the one. And so finally, finally, when all the green lights started coming up around Jesus, here it was coming. The question of the ages was coming to fruition. Yes, this is the one. And so we celebrate today on this Palm Sunday the great story of hope, the promise fulfilled for the Jews of many, many generations, a power through peace. But when we look back, as Merle alluded to in our hymn selection, with hindsight, it's hard to know what we know about the future. It's hard for us to stay ecstatic on this Palm Sunday. Amidst all the cries and the glories and the hosannas being yelled, we are reminded that Jesus, in fact, predicted his death three times prior to this event. This impending knowledge perhaps even makes us feel guilty. How can we be having fun and celebrating today when we know what's going to happen in just five days? It, was, it is a sense of, I think, survivor's guilt. I remember experiencing survivor's guilt in a very real way when, in 1996, one of my best friends had been abducted, Alicia, Many of you have heard her story before. And I remember for 66 days as she was missing, and we had no idea where she was, the rest of us had to go on with life as we knew it, as one can when one of your best friends is missing. And I remember one time, a few weeks after her disappearance, finding myself laughing at a joke or an encounter, and then stopping because I felt so guilty. How could I be laughing when I had no idea what was happening to Alicia at that time? That is a sense of survivor's guilt. And that is that sense, too, that we sort of hesitate to get too caught up in today's excitement because we know what is happening in our future. We find ourselves wanting to cheer, Hosanna! But we know that in just a few days, the ending cry will become, crucify him. So how do we live with this dichotomy? How do we live with this betrayal? How do we live knowing that at times we too have quickly contrasting feelings about Jesus in our own lives? Perhaps it has less to do with our own sense of pity for Jesus and his impending death, but more about our sense of guilt for disregarding Jesus so quickly at times in our own lives when we just recently hailed him, perhaps just that morning, as our Messiah and our Savior. And yet Jesus enters in, riding on the donkey, the crowds cheering, I have to wonder how the Roman soldiers thought. They were used to Caesar and the other Roman 
leaders coming in on huge, probably white stallions, the biggest of horses, and then here comes Jesus on a tiny baby donkey. I just imagine they must have been just laughing and mocking him. And Jesus doesn't seem bothered. He's there in his normal carpenter attire, riding in. He's not necessarily looking for a grand parade. He knows that it's nothing grand to which he's entering, but rather, rather a week of despair and agony and torture. And here we see the grown man. And in this donkey, we learn something vitally important about God. Richard Jensen wrote, God does not come to overpower us. God does not come to override our human evil and impose a king upon us. God comes rather in the weakness of love. God is revealed in hiding, as Luther often said. God is revealed in a cross. God is revealed in death. This, surely, is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As Jesus rides in, he doesn't invite us to join in in the celebration. He doesn't encourage the crowds to cheer for him. He knows what is ahead. And so Jensen proposes that his words may say something or may have sounded something like this. I have not come as a mighty God to meet you in your strength. I have come as a crucified God to meet you in your weakness. I have come to meet you when you walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I have come to meet you when you stand at the very gates of hell. I have come to walk with you in your darkness. I have come to walk with you in the night that you may one day walk with me in the light. Today we will be honoring the spiritual practice of healing prayer and anointing. When Ron and I discussed practicing healing prayer and anointing on Palm Sunday, we wondered, is that the right time to be practicing healing prayer and anointing when the celebrations are going on and the hosannas are being shouted? It may seem like an unusual time to come forward but we decided that in many ways, Palm Sunday may be very appropriate to come forward. Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem asking for a fanfare or celebration. He came knowing what was ahead, as he had warned his disciples multiple times. He came knowing that in his aloneness, he would be making a path available for all to come to him, regardless of their pain regardless of our despair. Jesus knows how we feel, and as a result, he offers us companionship on the road that often feels lonely. Many of us walk like Jesus did, along a road that perhaps is full of people cheering and seemingly having a great time, shouting happy things. Whether the cheers are for us or not, 
Few people, when we are on that road, seem to notice the pain that we are facing ourselves. We may let a few people in, but we have dropped hints along the way to loved ones. Sometimes they haven't picked them up, even the most blatant of hints. And so we'd like to hide, we'd like to go away, but instead we keep doing our duties. We keep acting like the world is fine and we're happy to be here celebrating life, that everything is in control and the world is in the palm of our hands. But inside, we are feeling as though our worlds are falling apart on this journey. Psalm 31, which Kevin read just before the sermon, it may have seemed like an atypical Palm Sunday text to read, but it ties in beautifully to this. Verses 9 and 10, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes waste away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. The psalmist embraces the reality of human misery and affliction. And in fact, describes perhaps that sense of alienation that Jesus would have felt and that many of us may feel at times. We know in hindsight that we read it, it possibly could have been the thoughts going through Jesus' mind as he entered Jerusalem that Sunday. It could have been the feeling of despair and alienation. The words, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Just five days later. And yet Psalm 31 continues. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Today begins the most holy week of the church year. It also begins the most awesome and terrifying waiting time in the church life. This week, once the excitement of today's parade dies down, throughout the week we will sit in the upper room with Christ. We will read his Gospels. Perhaps we will have our feet washed. We will drink from the cup and eat of the bread. We will go to Gethsemane, and we will hear Christ's anguished prayers and witness the betrayal of those who loved him those who are closest to him. We will be present at the trial before Caiaphas where Christ is mocked and condemned. And then we will come before Pilate to see the king of the Jews sentenced to death. And we will journey with Jesus up the hill with the cross on his back to his painful, violent death. And yet throughout this week, we are reminded of this man that we encounter today who humbly 
willingly rode in on the tiny donkey, not to draw attention to himself, but rather to invite each of us to find hope in his journey for us. When we practice this hope, even in the face of such violence, cruelty, and atrocity, we begin to see what was required of Jesus. Sean Copeland wrote, Jesus staked his whole life on being directed towards God. That he trusted his life had a definite meaning in God. That he believed that God would save him and deliver him absolutely. This is hope that heals and restores, that waits and creates. Out of this waiting, in the midst of this love, with our solidarity with Jesus, comes resurrection. May we have hope in the one who rides the tiny donkeys and offers us light at the end of our journey. Amen.